Welcome to Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales and business leadership. In each episode, our goal is bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished business leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they've conquered on their way to the top. Grab a coffee, a notebook, and pen, and enjoy the conversation with today's guest. Dr. Declan Bogan. Declan is a seasoned professional with extensive experience in the fields of innovation and sustainability. He has worked with over 160 organizations, offering his expertise at various levels from strategic planning to product portfolio development, human resources, customer service, and overall business proposition. His work extends from the bench to the boardroom, and he has collaborated with a diverse range of organizations, from small startups to multinational corporations. Declan, you're very welcome to the podcast. Declan, I know the business, as I understand it, is a sustainability business, a training business, and I'm looking forward to talking to you a little bit about that later on. Before we go there, maybe you could tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up and what that was like. Dublin born and raised, Dublin 9, Santry. I born in 1971, and uh, it was my birthday last month, and, uh, oh, sorry, two mm. weeks ago, what am I saying? Maybe we can start sure. again, can we? I'll start with a sorry. question. Maybe you could tell me a little bit, Declan, about where you grew up and what that was like. Thanks, Paul. I'm from Santry in Dublin, and born in the early 70s, and yeah, I grew up in a family with one brother, five years older than me. And mum and dad, dad was in Guinnesses, so we had a, a very nice, stable family mm. background. Dad was from Dublin, mum's from Dublin as well, both in Glasnevin and Cabra, accordingly. We grew up as True Blues, and I would have grown up, dad was involved at Crow Park, so we would have very much grown up a, as a GAA house. So I spent a lot of time as, as a steward in Crow Park growing up, so a lot of my formative years were in and out of Crow Park. And dad always had little sideline jobs uh, as well as working in Guinnesses. And uh, so we grew up in a house where you started working mm. early. We delivered newspapers and leaflets. And my first paid job was in a jury's hotel at the Rugby Internationals, serving pints of Guinness to, uh, to mm. fans. Education-wise, I uh, went to St. Aidan CBS, went to Our Lady Victories Primary School. And uh, I went to NIHE, which became DCU in the late 80s so i started college in 1988 right. so that's yeah a little and i never really went far from santry because primary secondary and college were all within about a mile and a half yeah. of home as a friend of mine back in the mid 80s he was in nihe as it was at the time and the address mm. was glasnevin and during rag course, week he yeah. climbed up the water tower with a big banner that he'd made ah, which ah. was university college ballymun Yep, yep. And when we look, when they looked to change the name from NHE to DCU, yeah. we got a lot of Alimon Tech yeah. and a lot of uh, yeah. names where it was called an awful yeah. lot of different things. And yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Good place. Tell me, I'm curious, you said you had a brother who's five years older than you, and I've just finished reading yes. a book called Birth Order. And it's quite interesting yes. when the guy who wrote the book recounts these stories about how people's personality is shaped by birth order and that he says something like, I'm going to get the details wrong, but like 22 out of 23 Apollo astronauts were firstborns. Mo- yes. Majority of, now it's an American-centric book, majority of their presidents are eldest children, majority of people in Hollywood are youngest children. 
And, but one of the things he said was that eldest, that you inherit the firstborn characteristics being typically firstborns are either mummy's little helper or strong determined. Yes. Yep. But they said that the second child, yes. if there's more than five years gap, inherits all of those mm -hmm. characteristics all over again. I'm curious to know if that's, if, if you noticed that in your growing up. There's four and a half years between us, so we might yeah. make the five quite, but it's not far off. Uh, so I would have said that, and we've also looked at a lot of this over the years as well. I'm very interested in behavioral psychology and the human psyche and how people think and behavioral economics and that, that human side of how people think and yeah. evolve. And very much, I would have said my brother... He probably made all the mistakes and he probably went out and pushed forward and my parents probably looked at him as a, and as he was on his own for the first four and a half years, the dominant individual in, as a child in the house. And then I came along and I stole his thunder. So whether that has ultimately played out over the years, who knows? But I think then when I came along that, yeah, there was almost a, a restart. Uh, but I would have said I probably got an easier ride of it over the years. And there's probably more pressure on him to uh, as the oldest, and I probably and I would have said that I, there was a shift probably in Irish society. So he was sixty six and I was seventy one, and so by the time I finished, he finished secondary school and I finished secondary school, a shift was happening in more in education, more towards college and university. So he went into work at 16 after and 17 after he finished his, his leave search, and I went into college and it was the path, I think, at that time in the early 80s to mid 80s. So I went down an academic route. He went down, he went into work, he went into business and he's, he recently retired having worked in the same business for 37 years or 38 yeah. years. That's interesting. And I'm 65, as in born in 65. And hmm. I think what it... What might contribute to that as well is that because unemployment was so crazy back then that if you were offered a yeah, job at all, yes. you took it with both hands. Yes. Yeah. I'm also curious, Declan, looking at your CV you're on LinkedIn and the companies and the roles you've had, yes. there seems to be a common thread there of strategy, innovation, creativity as a thread going through all of mm. them. Where does that come from? Uh, I think there's certain people that you meet in your life have a major influence and uh, I would have said I probably had a couple of teachers in secondary school that gave me a love of science. Mm. It gave me a love of, and I'm structural analytical, how my brain is wired and I think science appealed to me, business appealed to me a certain amount. I wasn't one for languages. I loved history and I still love history and geography, but I, I had a great teacher, uh, Mr. Connolly. And he encouraged me to do a degree in science. And NIHE had been set up locally, and he said, there's a great course down the road, you might want to have a look at it. And I went, wow, that's, that sounds interesting. I did analytical science in DCU. Over the three or four years, it was from chemistry, biology, physics, and as you would imagine, a science course could be. I did my fourth year project in uh, inorganic chemistry where I was firing lasers at molecules and trying to look at carbon dioxide or monoxide molecules. I'm going, this is the most useless piece of research that would ever be known to man. And I realized that I only ever wanted to work on tangible things for real people, for, for real challenges that could actually make a right. difference. 
and I would have said that has stuck with me through all of my career that I only want to work for on real mm. things uh, for real people that had real issues and real mm. challenges that ultimately make a difference. I, I've having done my degree, I stayed on a PhD and I did my PhD in analytical biochemistry where I got involved in the cancer clinical trial. I got involved in a particular drug that we were looking at in the research, how it's metabolized in humans is different, how it's metabolized in animals. And we looked at different ways of its analysis. It's the drug and it was called Coumarin. It's the smell of freshly mown hay. It is the secret ingredient Pepsi, one of the 17 secret ingredients. And I fell in love with the idea of medical devices, real things, real people. And that shaped everything that I've worked on over the years, Paul, and I've tried to stick to my guns. I've sway, I've strayed a couple of times along the way with clients we've worked with, but it always goes back to working with interesting people on interesting things that make a difference. How did you get, the, and I know it ticks those boxes, by the way, but I'm curious to know the path yes. you get from medical devices, for example, to sustainability. The path, uh, my first job, my first official job, Having done, I did my degree, my PhD, and I did postdoc in Tasmania. And I came back in uh, in late, mid-97. And my first proper job, and proper job, non-academic job, uh, was with Johnson Medical in the UK. So I packed my bags. I lived in Australia for a year, and I packed, came back to Ireland, and I packed my bags, and I went to live in the UK for two years. And I was developing out medical devices, an R&D team for treating leg ulcers and pressure sores and diabetic foot ulcers, developing patenting the technology and the ideas that we had and looking to bring those to market. We were made redundant out of there and that was my first experience of working in a major multinational and then realizing that it's the cut and thrust of you don't sell enough products in the marketplace, they don't have enough money for R&D and they downsize R&D by, by 50% and half of us lost our jobs. Uh, so from life lessons, it was you're, indis you're, not, in, you're not indispensable and businesses will move on quickly enough. So as I morphed into that world, I, my f next job out of there was with uh, Elan, the drug delivery technology business. And I worked there for a number of months on contract on a drug delivery technology. From there, I went into Shearing Plough and Rat Drum in the pharmaceutical manufacturing space. I got involved in manufacturing, understanding how products are developed and then ultimately manufactured and get to the marketplace. Uh, that morphed into another job in Trinity Biotech in Bray, where I was a uh, validation supervisor and we were bringing diagnostics to the marketplace. A French company came along, a French consultancy business came along and they developed out, sorry, they provided a suite of services in con consulting and contracting where people went and worked on site and delivered on projects. And I liked what they did and I liked what they were saying and I asked them for a job. And they said, yeah, join. So I was employee number 12 at the time in Ireland. It was a large global consultancy business. And suddenly I was working in Boston Scientific and Abbott Vascular and B-Braun and Medtronic and Genzyme and Pfizer. And I was in and out of lots of different businesses and realized I love the, the cut and thrust of working in different businesses on different projects and moving between and bringing value and difference to those organizations. Along the way, I met a and interviewed a, and has become a very dear friend over the years, Barry Winkless, and his background was in innovation and systematic innovation. And that was my exposure to real innovation and structured 
learning and thinking around innovation. And Barry and I started selling training, innovation training, to, to businesses. And we worked with a number of clients on innovation projects. And the stuff that I learned back, that was the early 2000s, 2004, 2005. The same principles that we learned way back when, way back then, were developed by the Russians in the 1950s. We supplemented those with other innovation skills and broadened our canvas. And the same concepts that are in breakthrough and transformative innovation actually are the same principles that are in sustainability and circular economy and ESG. Mm. So I would have said I've gone the last 20 years working in the same area and you say medical devices and, and in that innovation piece, I'm now applying that same logic 20 years later in sustainability circular economy. Uh, so my career got grounded in the world of innovation in medical devices that ultimately that same logic and thinking when you apply into strategy and business model innovation and people innovation, uh, it's all the same mm. stuff. Uh, and I've realized that's been my, the thread that I, if you went back to college and had known that stuff, applying that logic, uh, has been at the, at the core of everything that I've done for 20 years. When you say go from medical devices, sustainability, the principles behind it, the, the thinking behind this mm. is the same. It's just the application has changed. So for medical device R&D and innovation, I'm still using the same mm. concepts, the same insights. It's just pointed at a different, a different challenge. Uh, so the medical device industry needs sustainability and a circular economy as much as any other sector. It's, this, it's the logic behind it. It's the intelligence, it's the insights uh, that I now work on, I'm involved in. Uh, and as I say, there's a core skill set that I've capability that I've had over the years, it's mm. been that one. Uh, and I've applied that along the way. Going back to medical devices and pharmaceuticals, it's real, it's tangible, it helps people, and it makes a difference. And that's why I would have stayed in that space for the guts of 10 years through, mm. through my career. Sustainability is often, I think anyway, I have no evidence for this other than my own narrow opinion, conflated with the green economy. It's not the same thing. Sure, it's not. I think there's overlaps, but it's not the same. So the green economy is a manifestation of sustainability activities right. that are going on in business. And really that's what, if you want to peel it back and sustainability. Okay. So when we hear the word sustainability, you can say we have a sustainable business that we have a, the right management team that are going to deliver on products and services and we're economically mm. sustainable. Sustainability as, as we live it and deliver on it and train companies in it and deliver strategy and do projects in sustainability for us covers the environmental mm -hmm. side of things. So climate change, biodiversity, water, um, it includes the social element, the social sustainability does environmental sustainability. So the social side is how are we showing up as a business? How are, what's our employer value proposition? What are we doing around our social capital, mm -hmm. human rights, inclusion and diversity? fair way, the fair wage, executive remuneration, they're all being captured now under the sustainability banner. So sustainability in, in its in its full form, shall we say, is business is, is business. So you can all elements of business are impacted by sustainability. It's the products that we make, the materials that we use, the services that we provide, how are we doing those in a more environmentally friendly, socially conscious, uh, we're managing the human rights of the supply chain. What are we doing with our waste? 
What are we doing with our footprints for mm. our buildings? What materials are we using? Who are we buying our products or our services from? What do they do in the world of sustainability? So the green economy, if it's to fully manifest itself, is that all companies have a, both an environmental and social conscience, and they're doing and delivering and reporting and communicating on the value that they're bringing uh, from a, as I said, a climate mm. positive, nature positive, socially conscious. So we're not buying fast fashion that's made for a dollar a day slave labor in, in some far from country that people are conscientious of what they're buying, how they're buying it, who they're buying it from, what they're doing with the waste. So the, all of the value chain, all of the ecosystem rises with the mm. green economy. And you, well, Makes I was going to ask you, if you boil yeah. all that down, is it oversimplistic to say it's about minimizing impact on the planet by minimizing waste? That is one element of it. That's one, we're living in the yes. age of waste. And so we had the information age and we had the iron age and we had, we're now living in sadly in the age of waste. So the concept of take, make, use, waste or take, lose, that's linear economy mm. model that we're all mm. familiar with. We'll buy a new phone and we'll use it for a year or two and then we'll throw it in a drawer or we'll, it'll get landfilled. And the inherent value in that product, in the materials that are in it, uh, can and should find a second life or a third life or a fourth life. And so it should never really become waste. Uh, so it's a resource that is underutilized. So we try and get companies to ban the word waste mm -hmm. in their business and to rethink that where's the value in this material substance or whatever we're not using from our process or from our products. And if we reclassify it waste as a resource and we add value to it, then we can find new gen and generate new value from it. So is the sustainability impact on waste? It's one element of it. We need to think about it. When we throw something away is so there is no such thing as a way. It's just out of your house or it's out of your business or it's, it's out of your town, but it might end up on a ship to Philippines or to an incinerator or to wherever. And we need to think about the people that made it. What's the total cost? Of the of not just the material cost and what you paid for it, but where was the stuff mined from? How much water was used? What was the impact on biodiversity? What was the ultimately till you get the product? And then what value is it afterwards, after it's used or while it's being used? So is it impact? It's a hundred percent impact, but it's a broader yeah. value of impact, not just waste. Does it make you cry when you go to the States and somebody serves you food on a paper plate with plastic knives? Does it make me yeah. cry? Um, with fr frustration as well. I, 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 I probably chose the wrong words there, but no, I get it. No, I get there's a, it, it can be, you can get very mm. disillusioned everywhere you look, whether it's in the States or it's a coffee shop in the middle of Dublin city center or mm. wherever there is a mindset shift happening. If I got frustrated every time I saw something that wasn't sustainable, I'd be doolally. I, I would have lost the plot at this stage. The IPCC report came out the other day, the latest. It's sobering reading, but it's also it's quite harrowing and depressing and it can get you right down in your boots. Uh, I have to keep lifting myself up uh, around some of the topics. So they're heavy lifting and it's hard to make humor and enjoyment and good stories. So part of my role is to try and to demystify it, to make it simplify yeah. it, and to human uh, humanize some of the big challenges and to go, 
what can you do individual or business that'll make a difference that'll all yeah. add up but yes at times I, I get depressed i get sad and i get frustrated at the lack of ambition and the lack of courage and the lack of knowledge that people have in on yeah. the topic and I, i'm not no, I don't no, want to be preachy I, I, either I, I, uh, but the people need to people there, there's mm. an awareness that needs to happen that is uh, when people question our minister for the environment what he's saying is actually correct and what he's suggesting is actually correct of what we need to do the audience doesn't necessarily want to hear it and the way it's communicated isn't necessarily the best way to communicate so this is about behavioral change it's about communications it's about awareness it's about bringing people mm. on a journey it's all of that it's transformational mm. change like in any business where you want to change mm. something we need to be conscious of using the right language and making sure that people are empowered and they have an understanding of why and we're enabling them to change yeah. and i think that's the challenge so you go into a coffee shop with a the plastics and so on and you're going they're not even conscious that this is technically wrong yeah. not wrong yeah, yeah. but it's technically the impact that they could minimize their impact they could be using proper plates and proper cups and and getting multiple lives out of yeah, and, and the difficulty, and I want to explore this with you, is I find this topic fascinating, and I'll share with you why. But I think in the restaurant example there about the paper plates, is that for them, just in the moment, it's easier because they don't have the wash up, right? Yes. So they don't, you know. yeah. But I'm fascinated by it because it's a very hard sell. I'm interested in it because I've got three children, and yes. yeah. That's primarily it. But if I look at it, for example, that report that came out last week, I heard them talk about it and I com just completely turned me off because it felt very hyperbolic to me. That doesn't mean that it isn't, but I just yes. felt it was, uh, here we, it was just like doom and gloom and there was nothing in it that says, okay, here's what you can do. I just felt it was over the top. And I tell you why, because there's also a sense of, yeah, I've heard this before. You keep repeating this message. I go back and what went through my head was when I went, okay, they use certain messages. I say they, authorities, whatever you want to call them, around COVID yes. to scare the bejesus out of people. And it always went back to yes. imagery in Italy of trucks taking bodies yes. away. Yeah, yeah. It's harder to yeah. do that with the it's planet it, because it's not affecting me directly. You can talk about erosion and say Miami's going to disappear. Even if I live in Miami, I probably don't see that at the moment. And so how yes. do you get past that where the, it's natural for the human brain to discount the realities that are, we face? And how do you communicate a message that doesn't turn people off, that gives them with a sense of empowerment for practical things that they can do and the last one i'm sorry i know i'm throwing a lot at you but this this is such a heavy topic no, no. is i my uh, my sister-in-law is a climate officer in kilkenny and so i've had this conversation with her where she'll say okay we're doing this and this and i know she'll have her own difficulties with certain lobby groups who don't want to change yeah but then also i look at well in china every two weeks they open and i know that's not well, mm -hmm. climate, which is related to sustainability, but there's a lot of waste there as well. And a lot yes. of stuff we do, we buy from China. Yes. Yes. Like there was yes. one guy and he was preaching about it. And I was looking at him and he had his iPhone in his hand. And I said, look at your phone. There's a lot of that mm -hmm. yes. you know, in terms of 
do you need it? And so on and so on. And we're building all of these structures with concrete that impacts the environment. How do you cut through all of that, that mire of crud that, that really gets in the way of practical, implementable solutions? It, oh, there's a lot. Ooh. There's a lot there, Paul, to take in. First and foremost, uh, as an existential challenge to humanity, it's very difficult for individuals to absorb all of that. And as you said, Ooh. until you feel it and you see it, and you, you, it can, it'll personally impact you. Will people drive Ooh. behavioural change? Uh, so, at one level. Uh, and one of the things that we include in our training, I have a training business called SUSTOB, the Sustainability Training Hub, and we bring systems thinking in as part of the training. At one level, you've got to think about the system, and the system is broken. The system that we currently have is not good for the planet. Uh, so some, uh, and there, there are lots of organizations that are looking at that system. And so at one level, at the subsystem level, we're thinking about the materials and the, the individuals and where stuff comes from and how do we think it as a subsystem level. So things that feed up into our world, into our products. If you're talking about a phone, I have one, what's the stuff that goes into there? That's one level. Second level, and say it's food, where's our potatoes grown? How are we treating the soil? What fertilizers and pesticides are we putting on the ground uh, to kill off all the bugs so that the potatoes can grow? Or how are we treating that soil and are we depleting the, the soil? So that on one level. At another level, it's the super system. It's it, how the society works, how city works, how in retail works. So where are we buying those potatoes? How are they being transported around to all of these different places? So we need to fundamentally shift how we think about how potatoes are grown, procured, managed, stored, shopped, and how do you bring them home? And what happens to the potatoes after you've bought them? And 33% of food that is, is wasted, that is purchased and grown in the world, which adds about one eighth of the world's carbon emissions is mm. in food waste. Uh, so the food system is broken. So if you want to say, how do we change? One, we need to, somebody needs to go, we need to fix the different layers. First and foremost, so we as businesses, as farmers, as consumers, uh, have a role in changing the system. Uh, how that is communicated can be as simple as a retailer going, I am only going to procure sustainable potatoes. And the only thing you're going to be able to buy in my shop is a sustainable potato. Uh, so the communication is... This is a sustainable one. This isn't a sustainable one. This one's a euro. This one's a euro 50. What mm. are you going to buy? Uh, so you have got to give people a choice of the total cost of this one is X and the total cost is this is Y. And it, it can be as simple as the only products. Business as usual is a sustainable business as usual. So the communication message is that there is only sustainable products available. The challenge that we have is that our models are built on on, on numbers, on, on costs, on a sustain sustainability is seen as the most a more expensive product or service. But if you actually stand back in the total cost, and we start thinking total cost, then that gets you that gets a different perspective. They having your apples in a plastic bag, you don't need a plastic bag. Uh, so we need to change behaviours. How do you communicate that? Sometimes you, we all have to start wearing masks because it was mandated. 
there's regulations coming down the track for businesses to be able to that have to report on what they're doing in, in, in terms of addressing climate change or biodiversity or social issues. So what's happening is that they're now pushing that into the supply chains and those supply chains are full of people. Those people work for those businesses. So it's now being required of organisations to actually step up to the mark and set targets, drive change, and they're pushing that down into their mm. people. They're putting those in as KPIs and metrics for people yeah. to adhere to. So there's a bit of mm. stick going on because of the regulations. The companies then that are being more progressive are bringing new products to the market that are sustainable. So they're giving people mm. choice. There's a whole piece around behavioral change, about giving people the motivation, the ability, and the triggers, and celebrating them when they've made a behavioral change. So that whole behavioral change piece is allied to the communications piece. What's happening as well at another level, Paul, is that businesses that are winning in terms of sustainability and ESG are communicating out that we're the good guys. Our products and our services, and there's greenwashing, and we won't get we we, won't, we can touch on that in a moment. But we're the good guys. We're both socially conscious. Where inclusion and diverse gender pay is a is an issue that we're addressing. We are reducing our footprint. We're making it. We're embracing the circular economy. And so they're using that in their branding and their storytelling and their marketing to be able to promote that they're doing the right thing and they're going in the right direction. Uh, so there's communications going on in terms of. And they're scoring, their investors are putting money into them. So that communications piece is happening up at an investor super system level. And then it's percolating down down into their products and their service that people are buying. Some of it's questionable, yeah. don't get me wrong. And it's far from perfect. But if you're talking about communications, at one level, companies are training their people in this mm. stuff. And they're saying, this is what we're doing. This is what's important to us. This is going to make a difference to our supply chains. We need to do this from a an ethical and humanities futures mm. perspective. It's very difficult for people that are shopping up in Blanchetown Shopping Centre or the Square in Tala to make a difference if they're not even aware. If they go into Penny's or Primark or any of the shops and see a whole load of stuff there that was made for a dollar yeah. and it's been sold for two dollars, there's no value yeah. being associated with it. So we need to do. We need to change the mindset of where the stuff comes from how it's made, yeah. what's happening to it after it becomes waste. So there's incredible videos out there on what happens to your fashion. It ends up in landfills in Ghana. And it's horrible when you see it. And you need to emotionally connect people with that poor processes and disrespect for the planet. The amount of plastic that's floating around the Philippines in the waters. There's an Irish guy that runs a crowd called Ocean Integrity. And it's harrowing what he, what he pushes yeah. out there uh, in terms of how people put people do with waste plastics or, or yeah. clothing and so on and not everybody wants to see that or hear it no uh, but i think it's a if you bring it into the schools at four or five and six they're going out with their pickers and they're picking up the rubbish they go jesus yeah. there's an awful lot of rubbish around and it's connecting that back and connecting all yeah because i again you're looking at it say generationally as well i can see certainly when my daughter would be yes would it's interesting because on one level that age group, they're very much, yes, future of the planet, but then they're the first ones to buy the fast fashion. And so it's so complex. Yeah, there's, there's oh, a contradiction. Yeah, there's a contradiction yeah 100%. It's yeah. so, so complex. One of the things I see, again, relative of mine who works in a well-known supermarket, and the amount of waste that's thrown out every day, perfectly good food just because the best before date is up, or people who will throw mm. it out of their fridge yes. because... And yes. 
I don't know. Unless it stinks, I ain't throwing it out. <laughs> Just but. Uh, yeah, but there's my mother-in-law's 97 yeah. this year my mum is 84 they grew up in a yeah. time of scarcity and we think we're living in a world of abundance yeah. and we're not uh, and so they went and they had somebody deliver their milk and their bread well. and their meat and they, they went to lipton's and they were able to refill yeah. their products that's the circular yeah. economy there's more and more refill shops opening up around the city reusing and a few more are now offering that yeah. as a service so you're going with your empty container you're yeah. topping it up that's, we did that 50 years yeah. ago. So we're going back uh, to, to where we were. Where we, we have to start reusing yeah. these materials. We have to think in, yeah. in scarcity. People were healthier back in the 1950s when there was they less had food. To be. They had to be. And now they're, li they're living on... So obesity is a sustainability issue as much as yeah. hunger is. Yeah. I, I, one of my earliest childhood memories was being sent to the shop to buy milk and you had to bring the empty bottles with you. You couldn't... And in fact, it was interesting because I went in... Yeah and saw this crate empty crate and i came home and i said they had no milk and my mother said no that that can't <laughs> be and there's a sign in it says no bottles no milk yeah. and i went okay they don't have any yes. bottles and they don't have any milk and what they really meant was if you don't bring back the bottles <laughs> you ain't getting the milk yes <laughs> and of course they had milk so you that, 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 paul so i know you live not too far from me there's a farm about 10 minutes down the road yes. from where we are that are now going direct to customer they've opened up a milk barn uh, you go down and you buy a milk bottle and they have a milk machine. Really? And the farm, the cow, the cows in the Is field that in behind the you shed? are the cows that supply, them, that supply the milk. You fill up your bottle in the machine, cost you a little bit, it's 150 for a litre. Uh, you wash the bottle, you bring home the glass bottle, you use it. It's the Fantastic. most delicious Where milk. is that? Uh, it's lovely and creamy. It's, it's McGrain's farm down, in, down beyond screen, down beyond oh, Mrs. Okay. O's. Uh, further down that road on the left hand side so you buy the bottles you fill your milk you bring it home you stick the milk bottle to the yeah. dishwasher and you go back and you yeah. refill them and it's you're you can get to know the farmer so like the, i did a piece of work before with another organization and the thing was about everybody needs a farmer everybody's a doctor or a dentist you need a farmer so you need to know where your food comes from its provenance how the animals are treated so we get to see the cows that our milk comes from uh, and it's it's uh, it just changes the relationship That's that you interesting. have uh, with where your because stuff comes it, from. So there's companies yeah, doing the milk in, bottles. In and yeah. of itself, it's not going to make a huge impact if I go out with my bottle of milk. But I think it's interesting because no. what it does, it has this ripple effect because A, it gets you to think about other choices, but also people who see you do yes. that, get it yes. subconsciously it begins so, to work on them about all of their choices and whether I'm going to take a plane or a train, for example. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we haven't put, we haven't put a milk carton in our bin in two wow. years. So we've reduced our waste yeah. as a result. Now we've got to drive down and get milk, and the total footprint might be. We have an electric car, so I don't feel so guilty. We're not driving mm. a diesel up and down. Uh, but we haven't put. So our waste mm. has gone down as a result of reusing these six glass bottles for the That's last really two years. Interesting. Yeah. I actually saw that somewhere. I think it was Spain. I could be wrong. Could have been France or Portugal, somewhere like that. And there was these, it was a street vending machines where you could buy milk. And it was, again, farmers yeah. wanted to bypass the middlemen and set up their own direct. And it was, yeah, work. People would come yeah. every morning, get their bottles, leave their returns then the following day. Interesting. You've probably seen the, you've probably seen the egg yeah, um, I get vending machines. There's a yeah, few of yeah, them around yeah. the area as well. They're down yeah. in Avon. Yeah. Uh, I love my favourite. Yeah. I would, de I, yeah. And... 
there's a few vending machines now up behind Spar and so on. Yes. I wanted to ask you, what, in what you're doing currently, what's motivating you the most? Uh, it's what I love to do. I think I've built up 20 years of insight and knowledge and I, I, it's no use to me anymore. Mm. I want to share it. I want to not quite give it away, but share it with as many people and companies that I can. I think the world needs it. And if I've got an insight that I can help somebody to make a difference in their business, please use it, bring it on. I can be rewarded for it. And people value the message that I have and the content that we have. And we want to make sure they have a great experience. I love working with lots of different companies, as I said earlier on, and for tangible companies, sorry, tan tangible challenges for companies that I like to work for. I like working with nice people. The people in the world of sustainability that I've come across so far are decent, genuine, nice people that want to make a difference. And it makes it easier to work with individuals that have a passion and an interest in making a change, being change makers. And so why do I do what I do and how does it make a difference? I love sharing. I'm interested in collaborative networks and collaboration and a little bit of you and a little bit of me and a little bit of knowledge over there together can really make a difference in how you think and look at mm. your business. And they're nice people. There's a genuineness to the sector, if you want to call mm. it a sector per se. It's a broad group of professionals that are interested in making a difference. And some of us for compliance, I get it. But the ones that are also being compliant are also wanting to make a difference for their businesses and for their families. And I realized that I have a 15-year-old that uh, I want to leave a good legacy behind me. My legacy, uh, I want to look back and retire in a number of years' time or 10 years' time, whatever time it is. And I want to go, I've made a difference. I made an effort. I put some put time into trying to make a difference in sustainability and ESG. And I got to try. And I'm a firm believer that time mm. is precious. I worked with a whole lot of startups. I got into sustainability about five years ago in a, in a meaningful way where I ran, I was involved in running an accelerator for startups involved in sustainability. Uh, at their core, they had decent products and services that were sustainably driven propositions. It all required, still required people and, in, and teams and investment and processes and company and marketing and, and having customers that they could sell products to. So at its core, it was still business. So I like working with business people and adding that sustainability lens to their thinking. So that's what drives me. And I think there's an awful lot of demand out there for us. Yeah. Does that make sense? In your community, meaning neighbors, friends, yes. colleagues, not so much the sustainability yes. sector, but just regular community. Yes. If, yes. if we could make one change, say, per year, make one choice that's different, which, yes. What would be the first one? Where you spend your money. Our biggest thing that we can do is look at what, when we take a dollar or euro out of our pocket, how are we spending it? Who are we spending it on? Where is it ending up? What's our, whose service or, or product are we buying? And that's the same at an individual level, at a house level, at a company level. It's, it's the power of the PO, it's the power of, of the, how we drive the economy. So if we want to buy a non-sustainable, poorly produced, cheap, um, that, that's not going to be good for the planet or something that is good for the planet or good for society, then it's your choice to how you mm. spend your money. 
and that's in the if that's in the euros it's the tens it's the millions it's the billions it's the trillions of dollars that are circulating around the world all the time if we change our what we how and what we buy that's where the difference will happen yeah you're right that it is it's the market is the change agent you're right yeah the market yeah because we don't yeah we can choose yeah. Uh, no, like at another level you could say yeah let's plant a few trees um and we need to do that as well but Fundamentally, it's... Well, that's good. As I said, you can have one per year if, we, if you could just focus. Yeah. That would be a good one as well. I would get rid of best before dates or sell by dates. I think they're... So, again, that goes back to the story we had earlier on. People used to yeah. smell their milk to see if it was gone off or their yogurts. Or, and some of the... I think Tesco's have brought it out or was it Marks & Spencer's in the last year where they've taken off the best before dates on some of their products. And they're encouraging people to mm. smell them and to look at them and to use yeah. their senses. That's why we have five yeah. senses. That's why nature invented uh, that smells off. Yeah. I'm not going to eat it. But best before is so that yeah. you buy more product. Uh, my, my, my cynical hat is advertisers and marketing is designed for you to buy more products. That they're, they're specialists at that. If they could turn their capabilities and their skills to being, by being more sustainable and using that insight and knowledge and capabilities and data... Mm. Uh, to, for the good, we could be in yeah. a lot better place. Very little money goes towards sustainable marketing. It all goes towards mm. buying more stuff. And again, we have the power to ignore the best before. Supermarkets take care of it by throwing it out, yeah. and it's, it's said it's incredible waste. But we still, yeah. we still can, using our purchasing power, influence that. Tell me, if you were minister for education, and you could make one subject mandatory on the Leaving Cert or the secondary school curriculum, what would it be? Yes. Uh, I have a particular passion for biodiversity and nature. So appreciation for nature and biodiversity and spending more time in nature would be the mandated subject. Okay. If I could pick one, if I could pick a few more, I'd, sure. I'd, I'd give you a few more. But nature, biodiversity, understanding how mm. life works and business and nature works would be mandated mm. because it all stems from there and our respect mm. for nature. Which is the ultimate governor of sustainability nature is yeah we are nature we can't mm. exist without it mm. literally if, if we destroy nature we destroy ourselves and how does that when you say you have an interest in biodiversity in nature how does that manifest itself in your everyday life mm. in my everyday life uh, or even weekends and time off obviously you have a day job but yeah. but when you have time to focus on that and be with that, what does that look like? We have a particular interest in regenerative farming and regenerative agriculture, and we're conscious of where we're buying our products from. So we've discovered a regenerative farmer down in Kilmessen, not too far, about maybe 20 minutes from where we are. And it's how they farm the land, how they treat the land, how it's biodiversity friendly. So again, it's about conscious of our, how we and where Ooh. we spend our money. So in, in one sense, it's how and the products that we buy, where are they coming from? Do we know the farmer? How, what's the provenance? So we worked. One of the things that we believe in the business is my wife and I run the business is that we should give back. And one of the things that we gave back to a number of years ago was Easy Treesy, which was a charity that was set up to for a million school children to plant a million trees, a lady called Orla Farrell. So we went and we paid for and we invested in 1100 trees. And we approached the, uh, the regenerative farmer down in, in Swainstown 
and we said, can we plant some trees down on your land? So we went and we planted 200 trees over a couple of days during lockdown uh, with them. And you felt part of doing something, making a difference, that those trees will be there in 100 years, 200, 300 years time, long before mm. I'm gone. So at one level, we're conscious of what we buy. We're trying to give back to nature. We're trying to educate then at one level. So we're bringing biodiversity into all of our modules and all of our training. And then we're starting to work with clients on what they're doing in biodiversity and across their value chain. Uh, I live in a housing estate in Rathcoaten County, Meath. We've tried to introduce no mowing, biodiversity-friendly areas. There was some pushback on people saying that it was unkempted, uh, rewilding the areas. So there's a bit of a contentiousness between the gardener that we have, the people that run the estate maintenance, and a few people that wanted it. Uh, what I would like to do, I think in the next couple of years, is actually to buy a piece of land and to rewild it. I'm not there yet. I'm busy doing mm. this, but there's a really interesting Japanese philosophy called Hano Hanex, where people are part-time farmers, mm. part-time business people. Uh, so they're buying small plots of land and they're rewilding or they're growing their own products and they're looking after their local biodiversity. Mm. I'd like to get there and yeah. my own little yeah. world. I'm curious to know when you, or was there a point where you became aware that this was an interest of yours. You started to look at the world differently. Uh, so I spent about eight years uh, in the world of strategy and innovation uh, in a small Irish boutique consultancy business. We were flying in and out of the US, delivering sort of North Star projects, Horizon 1, Horizon 2, Horizon 3. What's Where's the world going in the next five to 10 years and how should they position their, their business and their organizations? This would have been in the, the 2000 and that's now 18, but 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, around that type of time frame. Yeah. 2015, the sustainable development goals came out from the UN at a country level. And it was, here's the 17 goals that we as a society need to address. So we started bringing those into some of our into some of our insights that we were working we were working with major multinationals uh, I won't mention any names but there were global brands that were in the tens if not 20s and 30 40 billions of dollars of their business and but they were all struggling with where's the world going next how do we innovate our businesses and then you start bringing in future is sustainable the future is thinking about circular economy the future is thinking about other broader issues so I would have said in the mid to mid 2015 or so on that it became evident that we just can't keep putting materials an infinite amount of materials out there. We need to think very differently around move to more experiences as opposed to products, more service led and to think differently around how people are going to consume, spend their time. So how we make how we live and how we how we work was going to change so we were bringing those insights and in 2018 late 2017 the company i was working with a number of us decided we were going to leave and pursue other opportunities and the first project that we we were successful in winning together was to run this accelerator involved in sustainability and i realized that all the stuff that i learned over all of the years and all the insights all the innovation, all the strategy uh, was equally relevant in the world of sustainability. 
and it had a higher purpose. And it goes back to what's the purpose of, and so we were trying to work with these previous company, companies in the previous time going, no, what's your vision? Where's your purpose? What's your essence? What's that brand? What's your proposition to the marketplace? And when I started seeing these companies that were, had a much more evolved proposition, a much greater thinking, a deeper, richer impact. And I went, it wasn't just about making more money. Uh, there was a much greater value exchange, a much greater value to be generated. It made money as well as being sustainable, as well as being socially beneficial. You were having this people planet and profit and purpose driven conversations. I went, this is a much more exciting and interesting place to be. It's not just about shareholder. It's not about some Wall Street shareholder making more money. This is about full stakeholder benefits. There's lots of wins here. That's what excites me. That's what interests me. That's what got me really thinking about the whole space. But I would have said the mid 2010s, mm. 20, uh, to the to, to, to late end that and it's exploded in the last couple of years, Paul, it's really become in the media. It's uh, yeah. it's all over the, the it's yeah. hard to get away from it. Uh, and what's happening as well is that, as you mentioned earlier on, the new recruits, the employees of the future and current employees are demanding that to work with companies mm. that mean something that are out there making a difference that have a broader purpose mm. than just profit. It's interesting. I was at a, I yeah, see, we're seeing it. I work in the future work as well as a client in CPL. So CPL and the future work Institute is a company that I've worked with for the last four and a half years for a, for a couple of days a week. And you see it, you, you feel it in the employee propositions, the, the new messaging and branding that's mm. coming through that companies want to make work for companies yeah. that make a difference. Yeah. Funny, I was at a networking event this morning and one of the leader there shared this story about Patagonia and how this guy who yes. became an accidental billionaire through this brand yep. put it all into a yep. trust. And I love the tagline he's, it was, the, our only shareholder is the planet. And I thought that was brilliant. That was, yeah. and it, it's quite interesting yes. for me. It reminded me of, for different reasons, it reminded me of the Steve Jobs uh, saying when he was trying to recruit some senior guy, I can't remember the guy's name from HP back in the day. Okay. And he, okay. he, he got him to look differently at it. He was not, at that, not having any success. He said to the, this guy, he said, yeah. do you want to continue making boxes or do you want to change the world? Something like it. that. And it was just that, yeah. that higher sense yes. of purpose. That's what really struck me about that. Yes. And that tagline is, our only shareholder is the planet. I just thought, wow, that's so powerful. Yeah. One of the, Paul, in that regard, then a lot of sustainability and ESG, environmental social governance, ESG, it's boring. It's changing out LED lights. It's putting in wind turbines. Mm. It's not exciting. How do you create a brand and a story? And again, it goes back to communications. How do you connect somebody with something that emotionally can connect with us? Our only shareholder is the planet. If you look at companies that are leading in this space, they're using the best of branding and storytelling and marketing, like Hilton Hotels, whether you like them or not, or whether they're doing great things or not, their, their ESG strategy is travel with purpose. And they've created a whole brand around it and a story. So I'm on the travel with purpose team. I suppose I'm on the sustainability team. So it can emotionally connect people with it. So I think there's a big piece. There's a really interesting book that an Australian journalist wrote about how to talk about climate change that makes a difference. And how do we play on people's fears, emotions, hopes, dreams, shame, guilt, 
all these human emotion things that we need to be able to use. And it, it is that you felt it. I'd like to work with a company that only shareholders mm. the planet. And suddenly mm. you're, it, it, mm. it excites people. Uh, at least it's, it excites a certain mentality of person. There's still a lot of people that are, can be climate yeah, it's, it's or realize a, that there's, there's, there's the value It's a difficult one because there's a tribal, certainly mm. in the States, that if you take a certain group of people who are into sustainability and they're making purchasing power decisions based on that, the fact alone that they may be associated with one particular party, for example, means that people yes. who have a different party allegiance will actively make a different set of choices. It, that's weird. Like just, it's, it, it really does, to me, speak to the humps, the obstacles that have to be overcome and that this is really a journey. It's not a, just a simple case of just... Anecdotally, Paul, we worked with, so one of my partners is a company called Clearstream Solutions, and they have an Irish client that has a US subsidiary. And they had to engage to find the carbon footprint to get the data for the carbon emissions, their footprint mm. from their US site. And the person that they were contacted said, I'm a, I'm a Republican. I don't believe in climate change and I'm not giving you the data because this is nonsense. This is not true. There is no such thing as climate change. So there is a hurdle to overcome that if you believe all the rhetoric from yeah. certain political powers that be, then mm. we're going to be stuck. But the movement is in the right direction. The movement is still towards mm. change, uh, whether we like it or not. And yes, we'll have hurdles and we'll have blocks and we'll have, but the direction is right. Yeah. And the, we feel it, we see it with the conversations we're having with business. There's more and more companies that are actively pursuing positive yeah. change. Uh, so the direction is right. Yes, there'll be like any change program. There's always going to be barriers and constraints yeah, yeah. and contradictions that we know we need to overcome. And yeah, you're going to come across people that are going to say there's going to be blockers, uh, but we got to work around them and we've got to keep going in the right direction yeah. or else it's not, it's not going to end up. Uh, a couple anyway. of questions left before we finish up, Declan. Yes. I know you mentioned this, the biodiversity was a particular interest outside of work, although it's connected yes. somewhat. Yes. Have you time for other hobbies, anything else that you, when you have free time that you like to engage in? I discovered the joy of strength and conditioning about three years ago, three and a half years ago. The lady who, who lives here in the village, she was a GP and left being a GP and has taken up uh, as a personal trainer. And there's a group of, of men of my own vintage that Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturday mornings and we're in the gym getting training. It's social. It's fun. It's challenging. You're feeling better as a result of it. So I do that. I cycle uh, and I do a few big cycles every year. So I do the Ring of Kerry or Connor Pass or the Wicklow 100, those type of cycles as well. We do like to jump in the sea in a wetsuit. We take a house down in Kerry for a few weeks in the summer, bring our body boards and jump in the sea. So mm. I love outdoors. I love hiking. I, I love all that whole space things. So give me the outdoors, as I said, yeah. like nature being out in it, uh, it would be a hobby in different guises, whether it's on a bike or, uh, or exercising or jumping in the sea. 
two final questions. If your house were burning down, yes. God forbid, and your family are safe, any pets yes. are safe, your phone, computer safe, yes. and you had time to run back in and yes. rescue one item, what would it be? Oh my God, uh, what would it be? Uh, probably the hard drive oh, on oh, my yeah, that, That's safe, You're, I said uh, your computer's safe. <laughs> <'Cause> that's safe. <laughs> computer's safe. Um, I'd have to think about that one, Paul. I, you don't uh, have time to think, Declan. Your house is burning down. Dead. You don't have time to think. <laughs> I okay. probably wouldn't. Uh, nothing. Yep. Uh, that's the personal possessions. I, there's nothing that mm. I wouldn't be able yeah. to get again. Uh, maybe a photograph. Okay. No, nothing. No, I have. My world is in my phone or my laptop and my family uh, car keys. <laughs> 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 Very practical. And my wallet, yeah, yeah, my car keys, yeah. my wallet, if, it didn't, if I, I've forgotten yeah. those, there's nothing else. A bucket of water to help the fireman. Yeah. Bucket of water, yes. So final question. When your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? Yes. Oh my God. That's a good one. I left a positive legacy. Yeah, <laughs> I left a positive okay. legacy. Yeah, that's good. He yeah, left yeah. a positive legacy. Yeah. I call it legacy. Legacy. Declan Bogan, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. Paul, an absolute pleasure and look forward to further conversation.